Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Well, I hope you're having a great Labor Day weekend. Here we're finishing up our sermon series on loving God all in focusing on Mark 12, 28 to 34. And today is the culmination of this little mini-series. So we're going to start today by imagining a person praying at bedtime. This person really wants to know what to do, what next steps to take. They're unsure of what to do in life. They desperately want to know what is God's will for them. They're hoping for a clear answer from God. Surprisingly enough, God answers and says, love God and love your neighbor. The person praying hears God's response. They pause for a moment in reflection and continue in prayer. Okay, God, I hear you, but I still have no idea what you want me to do with my life. God being faithful responds a second time, feed the hungry, Clothe the naked, give a drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, visit the prisoner, and look after the ill. The praying person pauses again, a little frustrated now. God, I beg you to give me some direction, a sign, something that will point me in the right way. God responds again, do good to those who hurt you, love your enemies, Pray for those who persecute you. Go the extra mile for someone in need. Forgive anyone who's wronged you. Turn the other cheek. Well, I know all that, God. I've heard the pastor say that a thousand times, but what I really need is some divine intervention on my behalf. Be plain with me. Speak to me. What should I do with my life? God probably starting to tire a little bit, but desperately hoping to break through to this person, says hunger and thirst for righteousness. Don't be afraid to mourn, work for peace, pursue justice for the oppressed, welcome the immigrant and the stranger among you. Be merciful as I am merciful, give preferential treatment to the weak and to the poor and vulnerable. At this point, the person praying just shakes his head, frustrated and now worked up and more than a little bit anxious. They just give up, roll around for a while, unable to sleep, wondering why it's so difficult to discern the will of God for their life. Now, we might laugh at this. But the sad truth is that this is exactly how many Christians respond to the teachings of Jesus, God in the flesh. All Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Most Christians believe that the Bible is the divine word of God. And yet what is so dismaying about our current times is how few Christians seem to actually pay attention to what Jesus taught, commanded. If we want to know the will of God for our lives, we must be willing to listen to Jesus's teachings and live them out. I recognize that this is easier said than done. 
Well, Katie and I were traveling across the Western U.S. after the 4th of July, and we were shocked at how many times on our travels that we were surprised by Christians expressing their faith on billboards and t-shirts and even in direct conversations with us. And they were expressing their faith in terms of beer, the American flag, or other more political flags, freedom, and surprisingly even bullets. But my question is this, is that what Jesus, is that the Jesus that we meet in the Bible? Do beer, flags, and bullets really express the heart or the will of God? Does it match the words, the teachings of Jesus? Does it promote love and justice and peace? Do these things help us love God and neighbor more? Katie and I talked a lot about this in the car on our travels, and we came to the conclusions that they seem to be adventures in missing the whole point. In Jesus' summation of the entire Hebrew law, we learned that the rabbis of Jesus' day reveled in debate. They could argue for days and days over the least important stuff. So the law had given them 613 reasons to engage in lively debate. How would Jesus summarize the rules? This is what our curious scribe of Mark 12 wanted to know. What command reigns supreme? Well, Jesus starts with what I would call cautious orthodoxy, perhaps the expected answer or the safe answer. He begins with what's known as the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. The Shema is the creedal statement of Judaism. It was recited by pious Jews every morning and every evening. It was recited by Jesus in one sentence using the word all four times. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is what we've been looking at over the last four weeks, this all-in kind of love for God. Well, the scribe asked Jesus for one commandment, but Jesus' brilliance, of course, is the addition of the new, the unexpected, the extremely radical thing that would have been anything but cautious orthodoxy. Many rabbis of Jesus' day could have answered with the Shema, but Jesus combines the Shema with another command from the book of Leviticus, 19.18, that says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Here, two widely separated commands are brought together. While both of these commands would have been warmly received by most rabbis, as far as we know, no one had ever combined them before until Jesus gave us this summation of our entire religious ethic. For Jesus, the Shema loving God could only be fulfilled by loving your neighbor. And it was in the loving of our neighbor that we demonstrate our love for God. In our Christian New Testament, 1 John was picking up what Jesus was putting down. 
He said, those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister or a neighbor whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Jesus rejects religion that neglects the needs of our fellow human beings. Love fulfills the whole law. Love fulfills the whole law, all 613 commandments of it. Love is the summary of all the rules. Love is the one word that we must not only memorize, but actually learn to live by. So the final piece of Jesus's summation of the Hebrew law is that cautious orthodoxy is not enough. Right action or orthopraxy or right love must accompany our belief. Jesus's addition of loving our neighbor is really quite startling. Mark is trying to make a bold point. Heaven must come to earth because there is no love of God without love of one's neighbor. So let's take a quick look at this original command from the book of Leviticus, the one that Jesus is quoting to get a better idea of what Jesus might have meant when he said, the greatest commandment must include love of neighbor. I think this will surprise us even further. Leviticus 19 defines love of one's neighbor in terms of non-exploitation. The verse that Jesus cites is the culmination of a number of commandments that prohibited the oppression and exploitation of the weak and the poor. Here are a few of the things listed in Leviticus when it comes to this command of loving one's neighbor. Here's what it actually says. It says first, Leave some of your harvest in the field for the poor and the sojourner. The Israelites were intentionally to leave food in their fields for the most vulnerable people in their community, the poor, the immigrant, the traveler. It also says, don't steal or lie because those things dishonor God. It says, do not oppress your neighbor, exploit your employees, or discriminate against the disabled. Do not defer to the great and powerful, but show partiality and render justice in the land for the poor. Remove hate, it says, and vengeance and grudges from your heart. Do not oppress the resident alien living among you. This is how the Israelites were commanded to love their neighbors. So the burning question is this, is this what Jesus meant when he quoted from this verse from Leviticus? I believe that the answer is a resounding yes. How could it be otherwise? Jesus seems to be summarizing the whole Leviticus tradition by saying, in effect, how we treat the poor, the vulnerable, the disabled, our employees, the sojourner, the resident alien living among us, this is how we are treating God. Here's the thing. 
When we look closely at Mark's narrative, these are precisely the commands that were being violated by the powerful Jewish social groups of the day, especially the scribes. And Jesus is talking to a scribe. Surprisingly, the scribe receives Jesus's critique fairly well. He even seems to agree with Jesus, at least in theory. But what about in practice? The scribe is said to be thoughtful. He knows that Jesus is right. After all, he's quoting from his own tradition. But thoughtful is as far as this scribe is willing to go. Intellectually, the scribe agrees. He knows that Jesus has spoken brilliantly and truthfully, but is he willing to actually love like Jesus commands? Well, apparently not, for Jesus says that he is not far from the kingdom of heaven. He's close. He's almost there. He's right on the doorstep. He can see it, perhaps taste it, but he has not yet entered it. Well, why not? He believes the right things, but his belief isn't accompanied by the practice of justice and love to his neighbor. And thereby he is participating in a system of oppression that really does not love his neighbor. We first need to recognize someone as our neighbor. In other words, we need to see the other the neighbor as worthy of love. We might remember that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus expanded the idea of who our neighbor is to be far uh, more inclusive than the people who live next door to us. Being a neighbor in Jesus's term is really including anyone in need. Jesus' greatest commandment, is to love God and neighbor. And we can only love the God whom we have not seen by, in fact, loving our neighbor, whom we have seen. We are to consider our neighbor's needs as we might consider our own. Friends, this is how we love God, by loving our neighbor. That's where it starts. Friends, love God all in and start with your neighbor. Amen.